Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, they shall be filled. Hello and welcome to our Thirsty Podcast. My name is Jeremy Lightnin, and I am here with Zoot Suit Riot. Oh, I love them. Do you even know who they are? Well, I thought that was the name of a song that was sung by... Uh, is that the band's name, too? Uh, it's, it might be just the song that, that they do, but it's uh, Swing. It's, it's, swing, it's swing dance that was kind of had a resurgence of popularity back in the, what, late 90s, I think that was. Uh, we are here today with our first ever guest on the Thirsty Podcast. Uh, he is a colleague of mine, a co-worker here at Shoreland Lutheran High School and a fellow pastor, uh, Pastor Tom Bauer. It's a pleasure to be here, guys. Looking forward to this. And uh, we wanted to read through today uh, the readings for this upcoming Sunday, John 2, and maybe talk a little about Ephesians 3, but mostly John 2. Uh, but first of all, why don't we uh, introduce you for any of our listeners that might not be familiar with you. Um, you have taught here at, uh, how long at Shoreland? I've been here for 18 years already. I was called here in 2004, not too long after you were called right. to Epiphany. I think yeah, you I helped, came a few months early. I helped you move in. Yeah. That was my way of trying to get you and your family to come and join Epiphany. Yeah. <laughs> and I think you were the only pastor who came and helped out, uh -huh. if I remember right. Uh, yeah. It might be because the other pastors are lame. <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, yeah, I was just about to say, there was one pastor in particular who was pestering us when we first moved here to join his church. And uh, now, what do you know? We're, we're at Epiphany, but it's not called Epiphany anymore. Now it's Water of Life. And uh, is that also why we call it Thirsty Podcast? It is why we call it Thirsty Podcast from Water of Life. So, uh, Pastor Bauer, I wanted to uh, ask you a couple of general questions about teaching high school. Uh, the first one would be that, of course, there are going to be similarities from when you first started uh, teaching young people uh, versus uh, young people today. Not, nothing's new under the sun. Uh, but I'm curious about what would you say is the biggest uh, change from the, the young people that you're teaching between when you first started high school teaching uh, and now? I think a lot of it would have to do with social media and the ability to use uh, electronics and things like that. Uh, they're so far ahead. Of of um, of me, I mean their their knowledge of social media, the use of it. Those are the types of things I think that I see maybe more of a difference of, um, and being able to adapt to the electronics age, uh, especially over the last ten years. You know these these kids that are coming in now have basically used that stuff all of their life. Um, when I first started, you know, everything was still a little bit experimental, and we kind of grew up together for a few years. But over the last five to eight years, um, they're they're light years ahead. Um, that that being said, probably is uh, uh, you could see it as a positive, but I think the negative side of it is always going to be that um, maybe if the, the difference between teens then and now is I think there's more of an issue sometimes with kids being socially withdrawn. Mm -hmm. um, but you don't see that, I don't think, in our halls at school mm. as much as, as, as maybe you would think, you know, yeah. you, because you hear this all the time. But I think, our, I think at school, um, most of our kids are 
I don't think that we run into a lot of kids that are just hiding all the time, you know, on their social networks or anything. I think we still see a lot of, of good interaction and interplay with the, with the students. I would, I would agree, yeah. There's uh, certainly, we, we like to complain and rag on them for um, uh, being always on their phones or, or always on social media. Uh, but uh, in all honesty, I would have to say there's, there's quite a lot of good social interaction, too. I have a question for both of you guys. Because uh, my, my call, as we were calling for a second pastor and calling for a year, we called for a year for an outreach guy. And then after I returned my last call in December, we decided, hey, maybe I'll be the outreach guy. And that's why we couldn't fill it as we already had the outreach guy. And so we're calling an inreach guy now. But as the outreach guy, part of my call now is to uh, minister to our youth and college students. And maybe you guys were like I was, and maybe this is the way it is with all vicars. Did you guys get stuck doing the youth program at your congregation when you vicared? Yep. Uh, I had my, my final assignment for my vicar year was, uh, you are in charge of VBS. Yeah. That was mine. Yeah. yeah. Yep, me yep. too. They yep. get, I always give the young guy, because they figure that they're closer to the age of these kids and teens. But you guys and myself, we're a long way away from the teenagers. What is your opinion as far as the age of, say, a pastor like yourselves for reaching out to these youth? Is it someone that is closer to their age, or what benefit do you guys have being older? I guess that's one of the things that's, that always concerns me, because I remember looking at some of my teachers when I was growing up and thinking, my goodness, they're dinosaurs. <laughs> um, but I, I look back and think, especially in high school, um, there was a, a real love and an admiration for the older teachers. And, and it was something that I, I always prayed would be able to follow you know, and have that kind of an admiration. Those men were 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 caring and 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 very pastoral. Uh, I had pastors, uh, pastor teachers. You know, and and everything about them um, exuded. Uh, I mean, you couldn't you couldn't but have anything but respect for them. Not only as teachers, but just as gentlemen. And I I think about that now. Uh, at least in my position, that that I'm as old as I am, and kind of gone away from, you know, being the almost the kind of the buddy buddy type teacher when I was first got here to maybe being more like the grandpa on the staff, and I hope that that kind of a grandfatherly type type figure uh, can be beneficial on a on a on a faculty, you know, that, that not everybody has to be young and vibrant, but maybe there's somebody there that you can look up to and, and see the wisdom of the ages uh, alongside of, of, your, of your faculty. What about you, Jeremy, since you're now in your second year and you, just, you had to think about this kind of thing when you were holding the call, I'm guessing. Yeah, I, I honestly think I probably would have been a much worse a youth minister or a high school teacher when I was a younger pastor because um, right out of the seminary, uh, well, even in the seminary and in college, I, I don't think it would shock anybody who knew me back then to hear me say I was uh, very um, 
idealistic and uh, uh, I don't know what the word is, strict or uh, traditionally minded. And uh, I don't want to say that's that's not what I am now, but I I have mellowed out I think a lot since high school and college, uh, and uh, that that makes it so that I think I'm not quite as off-putting, I hope, for the uh, students that I, I want to reach and teach. A lot of times people say, well, you know, trying to relate to the students and things like that. I Run think... So we are recording at Shoreland. These are the kind of things you have as voices over the loudspeaker. This is our, this is our daily life, so... Uh, if, if we want to leave that in for yeah, the yeah. listeners to hear, you can do that or cut it out. I don't know. Anyway, I think there's this whole thing about, you know, relating to the students and things like that. I think since my kids grew up and they've been out of high school now for over a decade, um, I don't know that I can say that I necessarily relate to students a whole lot. But... At this stage of life, I really don't care, <laughs> and and I mean that in in the sense that I, I think you want to you want to be relevant, don't you? I don't know. Isn't that a fair word to that's, say? You want to be that's relevant, important. but so relevant versus relatable. Yeah. Let me flip those two around. Okay. Um, yeah. Let me flip those two ideas around. That's a good flip. It's a good flip. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I hope. I hope that not everybody is as lost right now as I am, but I, I think that's that's the point. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I can still try to relate to you as a, fa a grandfather, father figure. I can relate to you as a fellow Christian, but am I am I relevant as to what the trends are and all of that type of stuff? Uh, those things I. I don't so much worry about anymore. I'm glad when the kids talk about things. I'm glad when they share things. But it's not who I am anymore at this stage. And I think, I, you know, you're fortunate because you have, you know, students in high school that will be coming up to high school. You'll have that aspect of... You might, I mean, you're talking about my sons. Yeah, your yeah. sons. Yeah, you'll have that. For, for years to come, you know, it's it's a different it's a different ball of wax going to the, Mike's original question when, and maybe you're starting to see well you've got one in, in high school yet but there'll come a day when you'll probably look at it from the same point of view. Yeah, well, with one of the things that I talked to our church council about because initially we figured that my call had been uh, leadership and training we would call a younger guy to relate to the youth and so forth. But then, you know, again, as we have not had a pastor accept that call for the past year, and then now I'm, well, that's part of my call to relate to the youth of going, well, I, I've raised teenage daughters. You know, at one point I had three teenage daughters at the house at one time. So I know what that's like. Uh, and, and I wonder if sometimes as a, that's, that was why I was asking the question of you guys is, I'm wondering if it may not be more beneficial at times to not be younger so that you're closer in age, but you're that father figure, uh, like Jeremy or I are a grandfather figure like you, Tom, but someone that has gone through it and seen it from, from that father and grandfather side and obviously the pastor of, you know, so how long, because I've been in the ministry for 25 years. How long? Not you can track. never remember. 36. 36. So we've seen 
you know, one, two, and three decades of ministry changes. Uh, and it, I, going back to your point, Tom, about relevant versus relatable, like if you just look at that word relate, that is something that you do with every person on earth, no matter how old mm-hmm. or young they are, you have a relationship. Uh, if, if you make it all about relevance, well, then you made, you made a lot of work for yourself because you are going to constantly need to stay on the cutting edge of what is relevant. But if it's, if it's relatable, then um, th- that's, that's something that comes very naturally to humans that we can relate to one another. Kids can really see through that too, you know, if trying, you're trying, trying to stay on the cutting edge, trying to stay on the cutting edge, yeah. they, they see that. And I think it, it probably comes off more fake than it comes off. I agree. Anything else. And, and if you ever smell any of that on me, you come and find me and let me know, please. Uh, uh, I, I had another question, kind of just a general, uh, <coughs> campus pastor type of question. Uh, you and I are trained, well, all three of us are trained as pastors, but uh, we've served in parish uh, settings before. Uh, and what is it that you miss most, and what is it that you miss least about um, parish ministry uh, while you're at the high school here? Miss least probably would be ongoing meetings. You know, the meetings we would have three nights or four nights a week or whatever. That was sort of relentless back in my in my parishes. I don't miss that at all. Um, I don't I don't think that I run into quite as many parent issues as maybe some of the teachers do. Um, and and because of that I, I I'm happy that I don't have a lot of conflict with the parents of the students that I teach. Um, you know, going back into a parish where you you have people um, a different. You've got your your people that you get along with, and then you've got your people that you don't always get along with for one reason or another. And um, not that there's anything bad with that. It's just that I don't see a lot of that type of tension. When it comes to the things that I miss, um, a lot of it has to do with the uh, would be the preaching and teaching aspects of ministry. The preaching aspect, you know, the the once every other week or the once a week type thing, you know, where you really allow yourself the time to really get into the Word of God, you know, how that how that works, and the struggle that is such a blessing when you when you have to write a sermon mm-hmm. on a regular basis, especially when you're all alone and you're you're doing it week after week after week. Um, that part of it, I think, I've always missed. And the teaching of the different levels. I mean, I, I I love being able to teach high school students. I've 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 cherished that so much. But you know, sometimes it'd be kind of fun to to do a Bible study with adults. Mm. You know, just as something different. Um, when I I get a chance at your mm-hmm. at, at Water of Life once in a while to do that, and those are the types of things that I I, I really enjoy when I get a little taste of what ministry is like. Yeah, I was talking the other day about uh, about this, a, a taste of ministry that in Advent I had done chapel for the pre- preschoolers through second graders, and about two hours later then I preached a funeral sermon and then went to the meal and everything, and then in the evening at 4 o'clock and 7 o'clock then I preached a midweek Advent service. 
and sermon. And so three very different groups of people, mm-hmm. uh, three very different sermons had it. I was just glad I could keep all of them straight and didn't do the funeral sermon for the children's devotion and so mm-hmm. forth. Uh, but yeah, it, it's being able to minister to uh, and, and change that mindset, like a Friday morning doing a Bible study and then maybe finishing up the touching uh, last touches on a sermon and then getting together with Jeremy for a podcast, you know, just always on the go, but different aspects of ministry. I don't know how you'll feel about this, but at, on, on December 23rd, I guess it was, I got a, a frantic phone call from one of my pastors that two of our pastors in my congregation went down with COVID mm-hmm. and he said, could you fill in tomorrow for the services? And I, I preached a Christmas Eve sermon for probably the first time in 18 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> and there are two things that came across my mind when I did it. First of all, I was really appreciated and loved the opportunity to speak to people at such an important time of the year. But also thinking, but man, that's when a pastor should be in front of his, his congregation, mm-hmm. you know. So after a few years, um, the, the, the opportunity to preach for the high festivals. As teachers, we don't get to do that anymore. Uh, and, and rightfully so. A pastor should be in front of his people, especially at those times of years. Uh, so I'll ask you in about two, three, four years, you know, did you miss preaching for Easter or do you miss preaching for Easter's or whatever? And then you're laughing at me because... Wait, you oh, we're not laughing at you. you He's can, laughing at me. You can ask, um, you can ask me that uh, this summer if I enjoyed preaching at Easter because... That's what I'm going to do at Water of Life. Oh, really? Well, yeah. good for you. And it's I'm, not I'm, I'm glad for you. Yeah, it's not that I'm taking off. I just can't be at both churches the same time. So I'll preach at the Caledonia campus and Jeremy will preach. But a pastor should really be in front of his congregation. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, that should. Yeah, and then Tom is preaching for the High Festival of Monday, Thursday, too. Yeah. Okay. So we'll get all of you guys over at Water of Life. Um, I, I'm out of my kind of general yep. questions. Uh, do you want to... Ask anything else, or do you want to get into the... Let's get into uh, the gospel lesson for the Sunday from John chapter 2, and then I've got a couple of questions for both of you based on, on application afterwards on this. So if you want to so go ahead and read I'll it. I'll read uh, John chapter 2, the first 11 verses. Three days later, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with you and me? My time has not, yet, has not come yet. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Six stone water jars, which the Jews used for ceremonial cleansing, were standing there, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus told them, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did. The master of the banquet tasted the water that had now become wine. He did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the banquet called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first when the guests have had plenty to drink, then the cheaper wine. You saved the good wine until now. This, the beginning of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Yeah, and 
you know, what I thought was kind of interesting was three days later that uh, in John chapter one, you have Jesus in the north in Galilee, and he's calling his disciples. He calls the brothers uh, Peter and Andrew, and then he calls the friends Philip and Nathaniel, and then John says three days later. And, uh, and I think it's interesting in that, you know, through uh, good, miraculous things happen around Jesus when it's three days later. Mm. Just to tie that in. Uh, and what do you guys think about the question that Mary asks of Jesus? Or just, she says to him, they have no wine. And then what do you think about Jesus' comment? What does that have to do with you and me? My time has not yet come. Yeah, I was just about to say that actually she doesn't ask a question. No. Uh, or even give a command. She just presents the situation. Uh, here's what the situation is. And, um, uh, yeah. So why... But, but Jesus almost seems to, to hear or sense a little bit of an ulterior motive in there, doesn't he? When he says, my, my time is not yet, hasn't come yet. Like, but then again, Mary obviously... Mary didn't know that he did miracles either, did right. she? Right. So what is she expecting of him? Right? You know, why is she coming to Jesus with this? Because John makes it clear at the end of this account that this is the first of his miracles. He's never done a miracle before. Why come to Jesus with this issue? And is she remembering what it was like when he was 12 and, and he was uh, amazing all of the teachers in Jerusalem with his uh, learning and his uh, Bible knowledge and questions he asked? She pondered everything in her heart about Jesus all of her life. If she would have known that he was the Messiah, or, you know, just in class the other day when, we, when you start the story of Joshua, um, Joshua meets the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord's army. You know, did she have some concept of the Messiah in her mind that he could do things? Yeah. Is that part of the pondering that went on in her mind? Or pondering the, the Old Testament prophecies. The Old, Old Testament prophecies about the one that was to come. And did she see any of that in there? Well, there's that, there's that song, you know, Mary, Did You Know? Yeah. And I always want to, I thought the first time I heard it, uh, it's just beautiful. I never heard that song before. It was sung by one of our members in a barbershop quartet. And I said, man, that is an amazing song. And then I heard it lots and lots, and I realized I just, if I could sing, I would sing, yeah, she knew. <laughs> now, she didn't know all of the things, but she knew who he was, that he was the Son of God. And I'm wondering if, you know, she knows that Jesus obviously has not done miracles yet, but she, she knows that there's some authority there, you know, that he may have had an, a reputation of being able to, you know, handle situations and fix things. Because notice, uh, you know, she leaves the situation in Jesus' hands, and then he tells the servants, you know, fill up these six water jars, and they just do it. You know, what are they expecting? But it, he must have that authority in his voice that you just do what he says. So if you don't mind, I know we kind of said maybe we wouldn't talk about this one, but mm -hmm. since uh, Tom brought up the Old Testament prophecies about uh, Jesus and what the, where, uh, about the Messiah and what he would 
do on earth. Uh, let me just read Isaiah 62 and see if that uh, talks a little bit, uh, answers that question. For the sake of Zion, I will not be silent. For the sake of Jerusalem, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth shining brightly and her salvation burns like a torch. Nations will see your righteousness and all kings will see your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will assign to you. Then you will be a beautiful crown in the Lord's hand and a royal diadem in the palm of your God. You will never again be called abandoned and your land will never again be called desolation for you will be called my delight is in her and your land will be called married because the Lord delights in you and your land will be married. For just as a young man marries a virgin, your sons will marry you. And just as a bridegroom rejoices over a bride, your God will rejoice over you. So I think uh, there's a pretty clear connection. Whoever put this uh, series of readings together, they want us to see maybe the connection between uh, marriage and, and a wedding uh, that uh, was the site of Jesus' first miracle. But I guess what I'm wondering is, um, if you're Mary, and uh, the, these are the types of Bible passages rattling around in your... Or, I shouldn't say rattling. It's better to say she was pondering. <laughs> she was pondering them in her heart. Uh, what does this tell us about the Messiah? Yeah, and so here is, here is the bridegroom here at the wedding of the bride and the bridegroom. You're saying Jesus... Yeah, Jesus is the bridegroom. You know, at, from what you just read from Isaiah. Sure. Now, I don't think Mary picks up on that, but uh, I don't know if you have anything else to add to that, Tom. Well, when an angel comes and tells you that for nothing is impossible with God, your, your view of things probably changes quite a bit, you know? And, and again, I think that's just all part of the pondering that that she knows her, her child is God and God can do the impossible. So if there was a hidden motive to her word, uh, a hidden wishful motive or whatever you want to call it, I don't think that we're saying too much or putting too much into the text. I don't know. So is Jesus breaking the fourth commandment in verse 4 when he basically tells her no? Well, that was the way that uh, the Jewish people talked to each other, tried respectfully to disagree with each other, is by putting it in the form of a question. Uh, you have the, the um, oh, what was it in John where the man was healed and uh, they, they, they were not very respectful about it, but it was in the form of a question when, when the, uh, the Sanhedrin said to the man who was healed, uh, oh, now it slipped my mind entirely. Uh, do you want to, it was something like, do you want to be this man's disciples? Do you, or, or, are you one of this man's disciples? Um, he was, uh, oh, my, my brain is totally derailed. Sorry. That's what teaching high schoolers will do for I, you. I'm hearing mm -hmm. these kids out in the hall and, and hoping they're not getting picked up on the microphones. But now I'm drawing attention to it, so. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> well, the reason I, I asked that question well, is, go ahead, Tom. I, I'm sorry. Could you imply with that, and I think that's how I've always kind of addressed it, what does this have to do with you and me? This is an issue between my father and me. Is that not so much a show of disrespect for her, but um, an act of obedience and respect to his father and 
and his father's will right. being carried out. And, and that's the way I, uh, the way I took it too. In that, here Mary is, tell is asking Jesus, implying for Jesus to do something that she has no right to tell him. You know, she. This is not the business of the mother, Mary. This is the business of the Father, the Heavenly Father, and and that's what he's getting at here. My time has not yet come, woman, mother, Mary. You don't have the right to tell me this or ask anything of me when it comes to my ministry. This is my Heavenly Father's time to tell me what to do. So in fact, he's keeping the fourth commandment by right. putting it in as, as subdued and subtle way as possible. It's still very respectful to her. Yep. What do you think about the... I always like focusing on the God's priority list in this, in this account of, um, of all the problems that there are in the world and all the things that people want solved and, and healing and uh, diseases and epidemics and whatever. Uh, and, and God says, I'm going to uh, make sure that this uh, party has, has enough... Uh, has enough drinks at it. Right. I think when you're a parent and your child has an owe and you teach a child to pray to Jesus about that owe, isn't that what this is yeah. to a degree? I, I mean, you know, we, we try to teach our children to take anything and everything to the Lord in prayer. And whether you listen to it and you start breaking out in laughter because you look at it as something ridiculous. It's not ridiculous in their heart and mind and they're learning that they can go to Jesus for everything. And um, yeah, this isn't solving world hunger, mm -hmm. but it is addressing a need and we all can take whatever need to the Lord in prayer. Yeah, and to that, Jeremy, it is interesting that the first miracle that Jesus does isn't making the sun stand still in the sky. Uh, it isn't uh, moving mountains. You know, he's changing water into wine. Raising the dead. Yeah, raising the dead, uh, driving out demons. Or uh, the verse that we focused on in my eighth grade catechism class today was the angel of the Lord, who is the son of God, Jesus, before he takes on that human flesh and receives that name, slaying 185,000 Assyrians. And I pointed out to the eighth graders, this is one of, the, for me, one of the most amazing miracles in the Bible and is contained in one single verse. And that's not the way that the Son of God shows himself the first time. He shows himself humbly. That here he displays his glory, uh, but you think of Moses asking to see the glory of the Lord on Mount Sinai, but Moses, but Moses is told, you can only see my backside. Otherwise, you're going to be destroyed. But here, the Son of God comes and all of his glory, and is revealing that glory here in that first miracle, but he, he covers himself up with human skin and bones so that he can stand shoulder to shoulder with other humans. Have we gone through on the Thirsty Podcast the... Uh, we haven't done the Gospel of John yet, have we? No. Nope. Okay, so have you heard this line before? I cannot claim that, or this as original. I've heard it from two or three different sources already, but uh, this is the miracle where water saw its God and blushed. That's, that's good. <laughs> nice. But to that question, how would you apply this to people? You know, like you said, Jeremy, people are always asking for those big things. 
you know, healing from a pan or protection from a pandemic, pandemic healing from a cancer, uh, those kind of big things. But how would you apply this that you have a God that cares about the little things? It, my mind went back to what we were just talking about before with uh, uh, teachers at high schools, uh, relevant versus relatable. And this is God having a relationship with us as individuals in, in our day-to-day needs and lives. Um, he's, he, that's the, I don't know about you, but I, I get kids and, and students who will try to throw me off track with big picture questions mm-hmm. of, uh, well, you know, why doesn't God uh, stop wars or, you know, something like that. And, and it's like it's because he, he wants to have a, a face-to-face kind of rela- a, a personal one-on-one relationship with you. And uh, that's, that's how I would apply it. I would say uh, this is God saying, uh, with all, even with all the other busy stuff going on in this universe, uh, I am most concerned about this married couple at a wedding having, you know, not being ashamed of the uh, kind of hospitality they can provide. And there's lots of ways you can apply that. I, whatever it is in your life, I'm most worried about uh, you not having uh, frigid cold fingers when you are trying to pump up the air on your tires at Quick Trip, uh, and so I provide you with gloves or, you know, something like that. It, it is 180 gallons of wine. And the other side of that is that God just always know how to bless beyond our bless beyond our imagination too, and I think bless beyond our needs maybe to say it that way. One hundred eighty gallons of wine. Now, if they're if they're depending on how long they're into their party uh, and their celebration, and if it goes a week, you know, as as uh, history seems to tell us that that wedding parties, you know, would go a week or so. Um, they didn't have a care in the world after Jesus took care of them. Hmm. And that's that's the other, I think, the other added aspect of that. He, he's not only afraid to come to us in the little things, but he takes care of us in all of those things and in ways that we can't always begin to imagine. He doesn't just give us the bare bones. The bare bones, yeah. 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 And, and to that, so that, that flows, I think, into the last few verses of the epistle lesson. What you were saying, Tom, is God gives us more than we can ask or imagine. And uh, Paul writes in Ephesians 3, beginning with verse 20, Now to him who is able, according to the power that is at work within us, to do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So he can do more than we ask or imagine. So ask him for those really big things. But like you were saying, Jeremy, this is a God who takes care of the humdrum, the ordinary uh, those little day-to-day things, like what we pray about every time we pray the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. He takes care of those little things. So he may save us from cancer, but he probably won't. But he will most of the time get us home safely through busy traffic. And well, finally, on the last day, you'll have a body that is uh, raised from the dead and free from cancer, so he'll, he'll save you then. Yeah. I think about that with a lot of different things that happen at school, you know. And the one that the one that will always stay with me probably as as much as anything was 15 years taking the students out to sing at churches. And if we sang 
at roughly every year 13 different congregations. Kids would get up at 5 in the morning, 4.30 in the morning, to go from south Milwaukee all the way out to Lake Geneva or down to Illinois or whatever the case. And, and, and just explain to our listeners why you were doing that. Well, I, I, I was the, the choir director here at school, and one of my responsibilities was, was recruitment, and I would take the choir out and, and do recruitment for the school. And then you get to that end of, of every year, and at, at, at our, our final prayer when we were out at the church, it was always a, a thank you prayer because I would love to go back and try to calculate how many, uh, how many tens or maybe even hundreds of thousands of miles those kids put on their cars, mm. never an accident. Yeah. You know, and, and so... Well, a couple of times, two years in a row, there weren't any accidents because the Shoreland kids did not sing at Epiphany because there was a snowstorm well, the night true. before. Yeah. So. We planned those pretty well. Yeah, so, so know, but that no, was the yeah. last time I, I ever had uh, the Shoreland Choir come in the winter. That's right. Yeah, yeah. we started coming in like April. Yes. yes. But, but you, know, you know what I mean? I mean, you... you in talking about something like this too, there are just so many things I think that we just we dare not overlook. You know, we don't keep track. Of we it. don't keep track of it mm-hmm. because he's always abundant. You know, he's always doing all of these things um, so quietly. You know, and I think too here it was just, oh, go tell him to fill the jars. You know, wasn't there wasn't any grandstanding in his part to do it. it was just. Go tell them to do it, and and they did it, and they came back, and they had this really great wine, you know, and 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 I think we're surrounded by that in our lives in so many different ways. For me, that all of those years of of never having to face an accident, we had we had issues along the way, but 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 all of my kids would drive to churches, go home, and they were safe, and they would come to school the next day, and how how wonderful. For me, that always was, you know. Anything else you want to bring up on this text? Others got a couple of questions for you guys. Oh, no, uh, yeah, go ahead with your questions. So I got a question since we're talking about weddings. And what's interesting is that in the red Christian worship hymnal that we've used for the past 25 years or so, it talked right in the beginning about just as Jesus blessed the wedding at Cana with his presence, so we asked him to bless this wedding couple with the presence. But that's not in the new blue hymnal. But how about you guys with weddings? Uh, it's been said that pastors would prefer to do funerals over weddings. And I've said that before. I would prefer to do 10 funerals for every one wedding. What about you guys? What is your opinion of weddings and funerals? I feel like that's changing. Uh, I can see why that used to be the case because my dad was a pastor and uh, often said that he would take 10 weddings, 10 funerals to one wedding uh, because those... (laughs) Those are the people that are there for comfort, and uh, they're they're at a very low point in their life. They're very sad, and th- those are the ones that are most appreciative of the good news that you have to share. Whereas a wedding is more about the production and that sort of thing. But I'm I found I've done quite a few. I've done way more f- funerals than weddings 
in the two churches that I served before here. And it's kind of getting to the point where people are getting just as demanding about their uh, funeral arrangements as uh, a bride or the, the parents of the bride and groom get at a typical wedding. Okay. I'm probably at that point because I don't don't have a congregation that I don't do funerals. I think I I, I did a funeral last year uh, for some dear friends, um, but I'm beginning to really much enjoy weddings. Um, you get asked to do a lot of weddings. Don't you? Uh, well, I don't know. If a lot is a is a I, relative I was term. I going to bring that up. And uh, that you've talked about former students who ask you to marry them and. And and maybe that's why they're so why weddings are so special to me now, um, to see the kids having grown, uh, they they come back, they come back to you and and ask if you can do the wedding, um, because there's a there's a connection there, you know and and I think I I think of all of the different weddings that I've done now, I've learned to really enjoy the planning and the preparation of the wedding. Um, and I don't know that I would have necessarily always felt that way uh, when I was when I had a parish, but it it has now become a very special thing for me to be able to do that. I know one of the things that I am very adamant now when I talk to families about funerals is making sure that the funeral is Christ-centered. Because I've had... <clears throat> People get upset in the past at a funeral because I didn't talk about the departed loved one enough. I talked about Jesus too much. Mm -hmm. So I lay it on the line in the beginning of when I'm meeting with a family, especially one that's not members, of what's going to happen in the funeral. But I, I haven't done that as much, and I need to with the wedding couple. Let's do the same exact thing and say this is not about... It's, de- it's never about the groom. It's, it's about the bride. But really to be able to say this is about the groom. It's about Jesus Christ, the, the bridegroom. And that's what this is all about. And that's why you can't, we're, we're not going to have that song that you fell in love to and you first danced to. Do that at the wedding reception. Let's pick a different one that fits because it's about Jesus. Just, again, just like a funeral. Uh, one of the questions I had for you, Tom, uh, had to do with uh, young people and teaching high schoolers. And, and when I think of melding that together with marriage uh, and weddings, um, I guess what I wonder is, uh, I, not so much this year, but my first year, I, I heard a lot of maybe negative sentiments from students about uh, traditional uh, n- nuclear family kind of formation and uh, people people settling down and getting married and having kids and and it was kind of talked about in a I don't know I don't want to say derogatory way but uh, I'm wondering what would you suggest uh, as a good way to help people so that they can we, we can maybe help young people so that we can raise their estimation of married life that's a tough one I think they go through that I think they go through that stage. When when I taught seniors, um, in the, for many of those years, I think a lot of them are are kind of developing some some of their own attitudes about things. And I think a lot of it is reflected in the culture around them. And so this, I don't want to get married. I I don't I don't see a need to get married, or I don't 
believe the roles of men and women is in marriage and all of this type of stuff. I, I, I just remember having a number of knockdown dragout fights about those things. Um, and after you after you struggle with it and you you know you, it churns in your stomach a while, you just finally say, well, just let the Lord do their work on their hearts, you know, because once once a couple gets married, I think a lot of things change. They realize they realize the blessing of marriage, and they uh, they realize the that that God's plans for marriage are going to ultimately be better than anything that they had had come up on their own mind. So, I think the only things that we can do um, is is continue to go back to Genesis. And talk about about marriage as being a blessing of God and being instituted by God, and and talking marriage up as as absolutely much as we can. I'm sure that it'll go over the heads of a lot of students along the way, but as they get a little older and get a little bit more mature, that what they learned when they were young won't won't depart from them. I, th- I think that's part of the problem. Uh, another angle on what you just said is. That we, we talk it up and make a big deal about what a good blessing it is, uh, but I think I'm sensing that there's a lot of other voices uh, in, in these young people's ears that is, uh, well, you even see it years ago with the honeymooners, the, you know, to the moon Alice type of a thing where it's like uh, marriage is sort of talked about like the old ball and chain or uh, they, see, they see bad examples of marriage and, and that certainly contributes to it, but Basically, what you're saying is give it time. I think you just have to give it time. Um, and, and, you know, the other thing, and we, we know this all too well, that that um, 18 years ago when I came here, I think probably there was more stability in homes as, there, as opposed to today. You know, more broken, and even, you know, at our school, um, more broken home situations uh, and that we're always dealing with, and I think when kids come from that background, I think it's it's easy for them to be afraid of what marriage is. So it it comes back to you know if there's anything that we can do to model a good marriage, um, I think we need to be able to do it in such a way that it it can be at least witnessed, maybe even from afar, mm-hmm. um, that type of thing. Yeah. And talking about marriage and, and advice, uh, so my second daughter, Miriam, so I think it was New Year's, uh, Miriam and her younger sister, Belle, who's a student here at Shoreland, uh, went with Miriam's boyfriend, Mark, up to Richfield for the cheese drop. Okay, so <laughs> they watched a, a block of cheese. Instead of the ball. Instead I- of the ball, he had the cheese drop. But then, you know, Mark spent the night in a separate bedroom from the rest of the girls. But in the morning then, he used Miriam's toothpaste, and Miriam complained to my wife, and I heard about it, that Mark squeezed the toothpaste in the middle of the tube. And that really upset Miriam. And so I gave Miriam and Mark some marriage advice. And I told them, I said, you know, when you get married, because Lord willing, they will, I said, when you get married... Do not have separate names. You share the same name. Do not have separate bank accounts. You share the same bank account. Mm-hmm. But for uh, peace and civility in your marriage, do have two separate tubes of toothpaste. 
know, <laughs> one that she can squeeze from the end and he can squeeze in the middle and everyone's happy. Well, this is what, when I took up the hobby of home brewing, the, the brewing mentor who taught me, uh, Pastor, retired Pastor Paul Nauman, he said that except it's about stoves. He said, you, it does not work well when uh, you and your wife have to uh, cook things or, or share a stove for, between making beer and, and getting oh. a meal ready. So uh, that's, that's a little bit larger scale, but uh, yes, it makes for more peace in the family. When it, yeah. what, what, did, what did you advise about which way the toilet paper? <laughs> well, there is only the one wall. proper way. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but this, Shelley was the one that brought it up. She said, "Did you ever notice that's why we have two tubes of toothpaste? Uh, and because uh, she, you know she squeezes it one way and I squeeze it another way, and there's peace in our marriage." So you know, you were talking, Tom, about the those teachers that you looked up to. Uh, and uh, it, when, when you went through school and, and they were pastor trained, reminding me of one of mine that was a pastor trained teacher that I had in, in college and uh, we were discussing him earlier. And now you know what we have done? We have, we have ventured in on the topic that he told us, boys, when you become pastors and you preach a wedding sermon, please do not preach a toothpaste and toilet paper wedding sermon. Oh, well, that's funny. <laughs> Uh, all right. Is there anything else you guys want to bring up? No? All right. So uh, if you're new to, to listening to us, so uh, last year what I did in kind of teasing Pastor Lightning, uh, that I used all kinds of puns on his name with lightning, uh, I've used all those up. So now this this year we're going to u- use uh, psych references for this Gus. This is a TV show. Yeah, one of the best TV shows there is. Yeah, it's the psych TV show. So uh, this is Pastor Zarling with Pastor Bauer and Home Skillet. Stay thirsty, my friends, and drink uh, deeply from the water of life.